Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi, guys. I'm Zach Forster. You can find me on Twitter at ZachForster underscore AI, and I'm representing on Field Index today. Hello, I'm John Mooney. I'm representing Watford FC and you can find us on Twitter at Watford Podcast. All right, thanks to John for being here for the first time. Thanks to the rest of you for coming back. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. And for most of us, it was the start of the Premier League season. So we'll start there and we'll start with Jim. Obviously, Leicester had a great win yesterday. It's been muddled by a little bit of other news, but what was your take on Leicester's weekend? Uh, Yeah, it started pretty well, to be honest. Um, There was a certain amount of apprehension, I think, about the fact that we've got a lot of new elements to the club, new manager, a few new players. We weren't quite sure what kind of formation we were going to play. There was a lot of concern about Claudio Ranieri deploying a particularly defensive formation. Um, But in truth, really, we couldn't have asked for an easier game. Um, it's easy to say in hindsight, but even looking at the fixture list to begin with, we were kind of one of the kindest draws in terms of having a team like Sunderland, who really struggled at times last year at home, um, although they did manage to avoid relegation relatively um, close to the end. But yeah, they did not look like they'd ever seen a football before. Um, their their defence was absolutely woeful. Uh, Kabul, um, Van Arnholt, Whoever he used to be our captain, like on purpose. They took, they took Lee Catamole off after like half an hour. And when you take him off, you know you're having a bad game because he just was terrible. He got booked, gave away a penalty and then got substituted inside 35 minutes, which is a strong start to the season um, for a guy whose only job is essentially to kick people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were 3-0 up inside half an hour. Uh, so, goal from Jamie Vardy, followed by a very acrobatic celebration. He's obviously been practicing his gymnastics over the summer. Uh, two goals from Riyad Mahrez as well. Um, and then we went into half-time, 3-0 up, got a little bit nervy uh, and got a bit complacent, tried to score the perfect goal, went into Arsenal mode and tried to to pass the ball in a few times. Um, got sucker punched a little bit by Defoe in the second half to make it 3-1. Started getting a little bit nervy. We shouldn't have done really in hindsight. We were two goals up against a team that were pretty terrible, but they started to show a bit more going forward. Uh, got a fourth goal through Mark Albrighton. It's a pretty good reward for his industry. Yesterday, he's he's really shone and singing his praises. Can't really sing them loud enough at the moment. And then they got a, a essentially what I, was essentially a consolation goal uh, to take it to 4-2. And then it kind of petered out a little bit. They pushed and tried a little bit although it was kind of way too late they dug themselves into such a massive hole that in 
relative terms, they were never really going to get out of. Um, so, yeah, all in all, a pretty good weekend, followed by a few um, negative press stories this afternoon that, or this morning that broke about Jamie Vardy and semantics during the summer in a, in a casino. Uh, not something you need after the fact that we sacked three players for racially abusing people in Thailand uh, about two months ago. So the club have said that they're going to fully investigate the matter and that they expect the highest standards of all our players, blah, 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 blah. So hopefully it's something that is a little bit of a storm in a teacup. It goes away. Jamie Vardy's come out and made a full apology um, almost instantly, which I think is the right response in these situations. You have to kind of get your show your cards early, which he has done. Hopefully it's something that isn't going to be anything more than you know, a little bit of newspaper talk and it doesn't actually uh, impact his play because he was brilliant yesterday, as was Marez and Albrighton. Um, Okasaki was particularly good as well on his first team debut for the t- club. So things were looking really promising on Saturday night and they've predictably taken a turn for the worse when you follow Leicester City. You get used to not enjoying the ups too long because there's always a down around the corner. <laughs> but fingers crossed, we can put those kind of performances in on the, on the pitch this season and we'll be absolutely fine. Great, thanks for that update, Zach. Liverpool won with a late winner today, but there was a lot of complaining happening during the match from Liverpool and neutral fans alike. Did you think the goal kind of made up for that performance, or are you kind of questioning some of the decisions that were made heading into it? Um, yeah, I was obviously really glad, uh, really glad to get the three points under our under our belts. Um, the performance definitely was lacking. Um, <clears throat> I didn't particularly agree with Rodgers's. Um, team selection. I think we've known for a couple of weeks now that Lovren was going to start and I think we can put that down to the fact that Mamadou Saku's Saku's partner has just uh, had a baby this week so he's not really trained or I'm I'm assuming he's also not slept very much so that's, um, we'll we'll, uh, we'll put the Lovren inclusion to one side but I think um, quite a few Liverpool fans are starting to tire with the um, inclusion of Lallana in the starting 11 week in week out. I don't think he's I don't think he's suited to playing that left midfield role that we've kind of been asking him to do um, for most of his stay at Anfield. Um, I think the game sort of changed when we brought Emre Jan on um, when, and we changed to a 4-3-3 with Coutinho sort of on that left inside um, forward role. <clears throat> so, yeah, the performance was poor and I understand that it was a very boring game to watch, but I was just really glad to get three points. Obviously, it was um, it's good to get some of the new boys um bedded in with the with the debuts. Um I thought Miller Benteke, Firmino, Gomez and Klein all made fairly decent uh, debuts. I think the young the young lad Gomez um looked a little bit out of depth at times against the experienced Walters, but um yeah, I think the last twenty minutes saw some improved football, probably from both sides actually there's a couple of chances there. Um and yeah I'm just glad to get the winner. I'm really glad Coutinho played um played a, a solid part because obviously he's had um, a short and pre-season with the Copper America taking place so yeah glad to get off to a good start I'm glad he got off to a good start in particular In his first performance for Liverpool what was your take on Benteke's day? Um, I, especially in the first half I was getting, I was quite frustrated with um, sort of the it, it, it appeared like hoofball to his head when we've been it's been rammed down our throats all summer really that he can use his feet and he's good with his feet. And I think even at times in the game, he was actually pointing to his feet as if to say, like, come on, guys, I don't need it until I chest in my head every time. Um, I think Skirtle and Mignolet were particularly uh, to blame for that. They didn't seem to be... They, they seemed to take the easy option out um, whenever 
a short pass may have been slightly more difficult than a obviously a standard lofted pass. And um, Mignolet especially taking long goal kicks was quite unusual. But yeah, um, I suppose it was okay. Could get better. He only joined up with the team late on in preseason, so he's obviously still got time to gel. Um, I, I wasn't the, the biggest advocate of his signing, but obviously now that he's here, I'll support him. And um, hopefully we can uh, we can utilise him properly. Great. And John, as I mentioned, this is your first time on here. So what's been going on over at Watford? Well, uh, yesterday felt like a first date uh, for Watford and our fans going into the uh, the Premier League. Um, but it was, you know, people think they know who they are. It's so much they have uh, an idea that their, their friends have talked about us and what we'll be like um, because they'd met us before uh, many, many years ago. But that was a long time ago and we we're a very, very different club uh, than we were last time in the Premier League. But it was a great start. I mean, it, it couldn't be even, you know, any better than... It could have been better, say three points rather than one point, but in terms of performance, it, it couldn't have been any better. Um, we've had a, a big a big um, a pre-season um, where we've had a managerial change, plus 10 players, six of them uh, were, were debutants yesterday. Um, but it started fantastically well. Um, and the 11 that actually started, we weren't exactly sure who was going to start. There's an abundance of, um, of of options for us going forward. Um, uh, Kike Sanchez Flores has uh, sort of been uh, opting for a four-two-three-one. Uh, um, we sort of thought the one would be Dini, and he was, but it was who would be the three uh, behind him. And and one man they included was uh, Miguel Layun, who uh, Spurs fans uh, should know. He had more Twitter followers than you. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, he, uh, it, yeah, he. He was a surprise and, and, and a, a, a good uh, option and a, a well done uh, for making the, uh, the, uh, the choice. Uh, and we started really well. Um, the, he scored within, within 15 minutes. Uh, and his first, it was, in fact, his first goal, he joined us in the transfer window in January. It was his first goal for Watford ever. Uh, and it will certainly be a memorable, memorable one for him and for, for us as fans. But Everton didn't they really didn't start very well. They didn't start at, at all well, and, and Martinez sort of said that in after the game. Uh, we went one up at half time. They came back, and they were definitely more competitive game. But the great thing was we didn't stop. We were still going forward. We were still attacking. We were still confident. We were still having fun. Uh, and I, for me, that's the most important thing for Watford this year. As players, go out there, have fun, express yourselves. Don't think we're little like Watford. We're not the little like Watford as we were back in the day. Um, it took a worldy goal from Barkley from outside the box to uh, to get get level, uh, and then the man and the charm that hopefully you're all getting going to get used to this season, Igalo. Um, if you're a fan of Spandau Ballet from the 1980s uh, and they hit gold, you will hear Igalo. Oh, always believe in your soul. Plenty of times this season, uh, coming from Watford fans, um, and in fact. He did make uh, Stones um, the, the big target for Chelsea. It looked like he was um, walking around on ice because he was slipping and sliding all over the place uh, before he neatly uh, placed the ball into the net for our second goal. Unfortunately, again, uh, Chelsea, uh, sorry, um, Everton were able to uh, come back uh, and get that, that equaliser from uh, a man who hasn't scored many goals for them. I think many Everton fans are surprised um, Coombe could do something. But a point to point. Uh, I think we've got another 39 to go to. We're pretty much safe. Um, but the biggest thing from yesterday is after the changes we've had, the uncertainty that we've had a little bit as Watford fans about what kind of a team will be, 
we uh, we got a result yesterday. And uh, if you win, you draw your away games, win your home games, that'll pretty much win you the league. Yeah, I do have a follow-up for you. Uh, there was a, a previous time when we tried to have you on, it didn't end up working out. And then on that podcast, some questions were raised as to whether or not you were, quote, doing a QPR by bringing in a whole lot of foreign players all at the same time, trying to bed them in kind of simultaneously. Uh, do you have kind of a reaction to that? Do you think it's going to work out for you? Or do you think you might face some of those same chemistry issues that QPR has faced in the past? I don't think so. I think QPR, they brought in a lot of, not necessarily, a lot of players that have been in the Premier League but were never the top man in their clubs. Um, that cost a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, and I think the Pozzo family, who are our owners, who we've had for three seasons now, um, with their massive, massive um, credentials that come from running Udinese and Granada, we and we, we've seen a lot of a lot of changes over the last three seasons of, of, of almost every summer. Um, a, a good bunch of players coming in um, that they are they're going to pick the right sort of players. For the, for, for the team they're not just going to pick any old player um, so that's that's where I think it'd be better but if you actually look at the, the squad that we had the two players that scored the goals were with us last year and there's a spine to our uh, our, our team at the moment there's Gomez in goal there's Cathcart in, in defence centre defence there's Dini there's Igalo who, who played yesterday and if Alman Abdi wasn't injured he would have played and there's definitely a, you know that there, there is a basis uh, to the team that isn't different from last year. And my view is they're all the great stuff still there and all they've done is add more quality. Mm. I did very much like the, the additions of Kapu and Belrami. I think that's going to be a very good midfield pairing going forward. Well, that's completely changed us in terms of you compared to how we played last year. We were three five two. 5 There wasn't that sort of defensive eye, let's say. But that's a championship. Uh, and we know that you want to make you want to fill that midfield a little bit more. You want to make it a little bit more um, and dominant. So the the, the two who are def- you know covering a little bit more. Um, uh, Kapu was doing really well yesterday. You know he sort of I, I sort of thing was was like he's trying to orchestrate things, where um, uh, Barami's the one who's sort of trying to just get in there and be the the. We, we, he looks like you know you know the Gremlins. You know the one who had like the the, mm. the white mohawk. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah, he has got, he's got the attitude of a gremlin, uh, the way he sort of fights for every single ball, plus he's got the haircut. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that, that is a great sort of make-up um, to sort of base that midfield on. And then there's the four going forward, um, which is just, you know, the, the, for me, if, you, if you're going to do well in the, in, the, in the Premier League, you've got to be, you've got to have both eyes on both ends of the pitch. And it sort of seems to make a lot of sense the way that uh, uh, Flores, uh, Flores is uh, setting things up. For Tottenham, we traveled to Old Trafford, ended up falling 1-0 due to a Kyle Walker own goal. Um, we outperformed them for large swaths of that match. We really did, but ended up with little to show for it, as uh, you know we tend to do historically. Um, Dembele was played out on the wing, which I don't think we've seen since, I think it was the AVB era. We saw him out on the right a little bit. Um, I think really the best thing he did while he was out there was he didn't kind of trundle into Christian Eriksen's space, which allowed kind of our front four to all operate independently instead of all kind of focusing in. Uh, like when we have Lamela and Chadley both on, they're both coming in. Eriksen's going up the middle. Kane's willing to drop back. And so you kind of have four players that are easily defended by two. Um, so I did think that that worked out pretty well. Uh, 
you know, it, it got tough in the second half. I was just looking before we came on at, at what the substitutions were. And it kind of shows the class difference between the two. Uh, they brought on Under Herrera when we brought on Ryan Mason. And then we brought on Eric Lamela when they brought in Antonio Valencia. And then we brought on Della Ali, brought up just freshly from League One when they brought on Bastian Schweinsteiger. So, you know, there's a little bit of a talent gap there with each of those uh, substitutions. So the fact that we were able to, to limit them as much as we did, I... I am now, after the match, feeling much better about it. In the moment, I was pretty frustrated that we weren't able to capitalize on a lot of chances. Erickson had a late one that would have added to his tally of 80th-plus-minute goals that have at least salvaged just a point. Um, as I mentioned, Kyle Walker, pretty disappointing. We'll get to that later in Player Watch, obviously. But, um, yeah, most most fans are pleased. I'm more pleased now than I was yesterday. Like I said, I was very frustrated. But when you kind of look at it analytically and you realize we had Vorman instead of Lloris, we had Ben Davies in instead of Danny Rose. We had Kyle Walker in instead of Trippier, which it felt like every fan knew was a mistake, but we're still doing it. I'm not really sure when that'll change, but hopefully it's soon. We didn't play Lamela on the right. Dembele did do well, but he did well as a central midfielder playing right wing. He wasn't an exceptional right winger. I don't want to get give anybody that impression. And uh, we were lacking the central midfielder that eventually is going to pair next to Bentaleb, fingers crossed. Um, so if you look at that, and, and like I mentioned, the substitutions that happened and everything else, the fact that we limited them to just one shot on target is incredible. They only had one corner the whole match. Um, I was very impressed by our defense, save, save for one Kyle Walker. Ben Davis had been very critical of in the past, but he he, he did perfectly fine. Uh, ben Taleb had an off day, kind of passed it around uh, errantly, which led to the chance that ended up being the own goal as well. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's a young guy. He's going to learn from that. The thing I liked most about this match is how much fight we had. Um, after midweek, the Real Madrid match, and Sergio Ramos slid in through Christian Eriksen, and Harry Kane got in Sergio Ramos's face, and he was really fighting for him. Um, ben Taleb had a situation like that in this match as well. And Eric Dyer just lost it on Ashley Young. We'll talk about simulation here in a little bit. But uh, it was great just kind of seeing that passion that, you know, was was missing, uh, especially towards the second half of the AVB era. Uh, a lot of people claiming us of kind of being indifferent on the pitch. And, and to see us really kind of riled up, uh, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things that you can't promote. But once it gets crazy, then you can kind of tone it back a little bit. Um, but you can't make people excited. And, and it seems like we're all very excited and passionate at the moment. And so hopefully we'll be able to see kind of more fire going forwards as well. Uh, I mentioned the center midfielder that apparently is going to play next to Bentaleb. Uh, that's based off of a Poch interview where he said reinforcements are coming and that we have a couple of deals just about done. One for a player that nobody has named in the media. Now, what that's done has made all of the ITKs and papers lose their mind trying to figure out who this nameless individual is. Uh, and so there have been all kinds of claims. Uh, we talked about on Thursday with Clinton and G. That one, I think, might actually be close. Um, but we've had other things, like people saying Berahino is done and he's already done part of a medical. I don't know why you'd only do part of it and then leave and then already be back in Birmingham where he was pictured. But that's fine. I'm not going to get into it. Betting odds slashed on Charlie Austin again. I was talking to Jim earlier. Not going to freak out about that too much, as I'm pretty sure odds have been suspended three or four times this summer already. Uh, the news today is that we're trying to meet Betis's uh, buyout clause for Alvaro Vadillo, who I've never heard once in my life, and uh, Sven Bender allegedly joining us despite playing to <laughs> despite playing today. So all of those would be very exciting, I guess. I I don't know who Alvaro Vadillo is. Uh, Berahino sounds too expensive. Austin's too similar to Kane to break into our first team. Um, but 
regardless, it looks like we're, we're trying to make some improvements and, and hopefully we'll get set soon so that we can kind of start betting those guys in and, and push on going forward. Um, although it's likely that if we bring in players like that, we wouldn't really see them until Europa League starts up. But anyway, that's pretty much what's happened to Tottenham is we played pretty well, lost, and now we're linked to a whole bunch of players. So pretty much just another summer at Tottenham. The players don't know the, the players don't know the best ones. We've we've had oh. plenty the last three years. <laughs> plenty of these boys coming from from weird markets that the Potsdams keep an eye on. Um, mm. Who knew Alman Abdi was before he turned up at Watford? We love the man now. We love him. Well, hopefully that's the that's the case with us as well. I only know who Clinton and Jai is because NG. Sorry, uh, because we had a France expert coming on Thursday. So uh, apparently both of them are pacey and play on the wing, and we need those. As I mentioned, we played Dembele on the wing. Which again, while serviceable, not actually his position, so that would be an exciting get. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. All right, and now we are going to head on to the topic. We, we wanted to address it Thursday, but it happened a little too close to recording, so we're going to bring it up now, and it's the new rule change for simulation. So to my eye, how this reads is that in order to get this ban, it's a three-match ban for simulation, a red card must be, a, must be awarded to uh, a player that you have uh, been fouled by, that you've deceived the referee into thinking has your injury has been caused by that challenge. Um, so there has to be a red card in play, and then it has to be rescinded by a disciplinary committee before you could then be banned for three matches. I don't know how this strikes you guys. It seems like a very specific rule um, when it feels like there could have been really some wholesale change if this had been wider spread. Is this the interpretation that you guys are getting as well? And do you think it's appropriate or enough to kind of quell the simulation and diving issues that are happening in the Premier League? I don't know how many times it's going to be used like during a season. I was struggling to think of that many incidents where there's a few, like the um, Sergio Busquets and Thiago Motta one in 2010, I think, mm. where he kind of, tried to fend him off with his arm and Busquets went down like he'd had a sniper shoot him and rolled around and got Motta sent off. But it's quite... Is that the one where he peeked out from his hands? Yeah. Was that that? Oh, my goodness. I think so. There's a few like that. And then there was one, was it Rivaldo, where he went down in a corner and like peeked from between his fingers to check if the guy had been sent off a while back. But anyway, um, it seems very specific and very niche. Like, it's going to be... I. I don't think it's going to be used that much. I, I appreciate the effort in trying to stop people feigning injury, but to get someone sent off, you have to do quite a lot. I suppose it's to kind of quell the... Um, it's to, to try and stop people rolling around whenever anyone raises a hand to them or goes head-to-head -head with them. Like We've all seen matches where the referees have kind of had to react to a player that's thrown himself to the floor and rolled around. And in reality, when there's a bit of a kind of brawl or a melee going on, you haven't got eyes everywhere. So it is very difficult for a referee to focus on one particular instant, um, particularly if there's a few different issues going on with a few different players at the same time. Um, 
it's a move in the right direction in the sense that the clubs won't be unduly punished for a player on the opposition side feigning injury. Um, but it does seem like a kind of halfway between what should actually be happening, where you're punishing people for feigning injury full stop and, you know, not doing anything at all. The bit that really embarrassed me was on Sky Sports News over here in England. The uh, example they used uh, for what this rule was and the example of when it might be used was of Fernando Forcieri, the Watford striker, uh, last mm. year away at uh, Wolverhampton where there was a shove very late on and he fell over and it looked awful. But we were all, as Watford fans, very quick uh, to sort of uh, to dismiss him and sort of say, you know, that's not how we do things around here, Fernando. And you're right, how often is it going to be used? But it, they are those moments when you see it happen and you go, football has gone bad. They are the moments where you just hate that that can actually happen in a game of football. And that's why I like the three-match ban. The three-match ban says, look, it's terrible. It isn't a good thing. It makes the game of football look horrendous. So we're going to make sure that you and your club are, are going to get punished for it. Your other option is to not do it. Uh, and so hopefully, and even though it might not be used a huge amount, even though it might not be a massive game changer, and there are definitely lots of other things that need to be sorted out in terms of the simulation and diving and what have you, it's quite an easy one. Um, but my favourite thing about it is that they can do it um, after the game. Um, there's, so, there's still a lot of uh, rules and stuff in football where you can't do things unless the referee has done something about it on the pitch. And we need to move away from that. We need to use this um, video footage that, that's around um, to, to get rid of the crinkles in football. Um, and I think this is a, a great, great um, uh, move. And hopefully we'll, um, we'll, we'll sort things out. And in a, hopefully it will never get used. Because if it's never getting used, then those things are never happening. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a maybe a little bit too little, too late, kind of. Um, I agree with your point that it's good that they can go back and review it, but they can only go back and review it if a red card's been awarded in the first place. So the referee does have to have seen it, uh, which I think is quite unfortunate. But I do agree that being able to go back and look at it is something that should be done more often. And I think that's that's kind of what they were trying to do. This is like their first attempt into several different things, like reviewing things after the fact to change them. And this is clearly a first attempt to cut down on simulation, as this is kind of the first rule that they've implemented to really prevent it. Uh, I, I just very much don't understand why the red card has to be rescinded first for this action to take place or why it's even necessary for there to have been a red card in the first place. Uh, Ashley Young yesterday well, the red had card, a, The red card must... Yeah. That, for me, is... Um, players might fake something. It has no effect on the game. If, mm -hmm. you know, if a player's got a red card, then clearly the, um, the simulation of being in the worst eight has had an effect on the game. So I, I kind of like the fact that they've said it isn't about um, just getting a free kick. Um, that's another level they need to sort out. But at least these decisions that go on that everyone perceives as changing the game, they're being sorted out. They're not happening. I think it's along the same... It's not exactly the same, but it, it's towing the same line as the goal line technology argument where there is a lot of call for more technology throughout football to review major decisions and the first one that was implemented was a very black and white scenario where the ball is either over the line or it's not and this red card retrospective action is a very safe option which allows you mm. 
a get-out clause when something absolutely massive that changes the game has happened. Yeah, it's, it's like a line between a super dark shade of grey and the lighter yeah. shades of grey. But it also means that they, in the nicest possible way, it also means the FA don't have to get involved in incidents which are of lesser importance in terms of the game as a whole. So I totally, I totally for more punishments to stop people diving and simulating because I think it's one of the criticisms that's levelled at football by fans of other sports more than anything else is we all know that the occasional thing will happen where you'll get caught in the face by a flailing arm or whatever and we see it happen in other sports all the time and one of the key things that I always hear from non-football fans is you know you wouldn't see players of other sports rolling around on the floor like that and feigning injury to try and get opponents sent off because it just doesn't work it doesn't happen like that but w- one thing to note as well is that the stakes are still so high in football that people could still take risks you know what's to say that we didn't have a playoff game a playoff final for example which is billed as like a hundred million pound game these days if a player faces a three-match ban but could potentially get an opponent down to 10 men you know it's such an important game or a cup final you know is that a calculated risk that someone might be willing to take one for the team in terms of you might have a winner's medal at the end of it but you might miss a few games at the start of the next season you know I don't know. I'm not suggesting that there needs to be an even worse punishment, but I'm just saying that there is still a potential case to be made by a footballer who would win at any cost in terms of the less scrupulous members of the footballing fraternity that would say, you know, I did what I did to get us that cup final place or I did us to do, you know, to get us promoted to the Premier League, which essentially leads to my wages going up and us being able to spend more money on players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it's it's a good start, but there's still more to do. There's always more to do, um, but it, for me, I, I want to relieve those moments when my heart sinks, those moments where footballers do what we do. Now, we, we keep changing the rules forever. Um, I keep adding to them. Every sport does, um, especially American football. Um, but you want to be able to. And, and you're going to have to keep changing the rules. Um, hopefully, I really hope there isn't a footballer who, who will go and do something in a in a playoff final um, for, for those reasons, because you know where they end up after their lives is unthinkable. Um, but that, it, it, yeah, we, we, you've got to keep evolving the sport, and in some ways, I think that's what what, um, what football hasn't done. Um, they haven't evolved um, the rules and reacted enough. To, to, to this this thing that's sort of come over into British football at least um, in the last 15 years or so. So it's, it, yeah, I, I'm sort of glad that the FA sort of are, are doing something because you never want a football association not to do anything. Um, the question is following through on it when the first incident comes up and what do they do when the rules start being uh, adjusted and used um, for benefit of others. I think uh, the two guys have nailed it on the head pretty much there. Um, I completely agree that the rule needs to be made more aggressive, but I'm, I'm really happy that the FA have sort of made like a start on this. It's um, it's come a bit too late. Um, we've been quite slow at developing this kind of this kind of rule change uh, um, as a global sport, not just this country. Um, I think the I, I would assume that one of the reasons that they've only introduced this rule for red card situations is because they don't want to kind of, you know, overcomplicate it straight away. Um, I'd like to see next season, some, for example, or maybe even halfway through this season after a review, a review maybe, I don't know, um, 
like just maybe every summer something gets added onto it. So, for example, penalties. If, if, if they think someone's died for a penalty and it's changed the course of the game, let's say Liverpool and Tottenham are drawing 1 1 and Jordan Ibe dives or something like that, and then uh, Henderson comes up and it's 2 1. That's obviously lost Tottenham three points, um, gained Liverpool three points, and that's going to that's gonna have a big bearing on maybe a top four race or a Europa League chase or something like that. Mm. So I'd like to see, at, at the earliest possibility, um, the rule extended to penalties and free kicks because I think the tighter you get with the rule, I know free kicks is quite a petty thing because like, that can happen 20 times in a game, but I think the tighter you make this rule and the more circumstances you can create where an individual would be banned, I feel like that would just deter any divers even more. Like the tighter you get, the more aggressive you get with it, the more it's going to eradicate this um, this virus that's affecting the game. So I'd like to see, like the guy said, just um, a bit more aggressive on that front and then hopefully it'll evolve as time goes on. But I'm really glad that they brought something in. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I, I was preparing a whole rant about it, but if this is just the first step in a longer process, I think I'm much more okay with it. I was really frustrated by the red card thing, but John, you kind of swayed me on that. It does make sense that you know you, you can't judge every decision that's made every match. Um, so I, I guess this is much more simple as far as just kind of the paperwork goes, if you will. Um, but going forward, I, I want this to be kind of wholly encompassing. Um, I don't think there should have to be a red card in the future. I mean, Ashley Young had a just absolutely pathetic dive yesterday where he was untouched and was just rolling around for days, which is why Dyer came up and got in his face. And, you know, no, no, nothing was given to Ashley Young. Maybe maybe now rolling around should be given a yellow card, if, if nothing else. Um, but it was very frustrating and... and kind of to Jim's point, is all of this, I think it was Jim, is all of this is all on cameras. We have this everywhere. Everyone could see what happened. And the fact that, that either the referees or the rule doesn't apply in these situations is really frustrating. And it isn't just us. Diego Costa had himself a, a lovely time on the ground in that Chelsea match yesterday. Um, so yeah, I would definitely like to see more action taken. But I understand that if this is just kind of the introduction of a whole genre of rules that may come going forward, that it does have its place. I just wish it had been a little bit more, a little bit sooner. Those actually young moments are the moments where we sort of go, Ashley, I know you came through Watford, but we didn't teach you that. Please tell us we didn't teach you that when you were an academy graduate. But also you no. wonder why, you know, th these, these moments get replayed uh, across the media. Do they never feel any shame, <laughs> you know, to involve yeah. around on all these occasions? And you not actually... Someone say to you, Mashy, mate, yeah, come on, what's that about? Yeah, like you see yourself on the TV. Yeah, it's exactly. like, ah. Oh, my hair looks really bad. That's nothing compared to you seeing rolling around like you're a five year old, um, as sometimes these footballers look like. Why, why, why in their heads can they not go, yeah, maybe that looked a bit bad. Maybe I should uh, not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, for all of Andrews Townsend's sins, uh, he dove in one of those first matches he was getting, what was that, a year and a half ago, I guess? And uh, immediately afterwards, because he got carded for it, and he was like, yeah, I need to knock that off. Exactly. <laughs> We're like, thank you. I think that's part and parcel of the fact that there is even more dependent financially on the game, though, in terms of people are willing to take more risks because there is a, more of a perceived upside. And, you know, I think for certain people, Ashley Young, probably one of the main exponents of this, He's willing to take a chance on his pride being hurt and, you know, being embarrassed and shamed publicly if it means better for the team, which is not necessarily the right thing. I'm just saying it's 
it's part and parcel of the game becoming even more, you know, financially flooded with this money in the especially the Premier League as well. It's not just a problem in the Premier League, it's a problem all, all through Europe, but and and the world, you know, some of the South American stuff that you see is laughable at times, but it's it's how you address it and I think trying to they're, they're basically trying to right the horrific wrongs from they're starting from the very bottom in terms of the absolute worst case scenario that a player is sent off wrongly and they can then rescind that and apply three match ban to the other player but I don't necessarily think it's going to stop it because people can just you know it I think what it takes now is for the referees to start being a bit tougher on suspected divers I don't think enough referees are willing to book players for that they're just willing to wave it away and I agree that there are some times where it isn't necessarily one or the other you know a player goes down and it's it's not always diving and simulation and it's not always a foul there can be a middle ground but the the referees don't you know you don't often see players booked for diving and I think the amount of times that we see it where it's clear that it is but the referees are too scared to do anything about it. They need some kind of backing up in that sense, because if they had the option, they would probably take, you know, of, of some kind of retrospective action to to nullify their or reinforce their decision. They could take a few more kind of looks at that and say, yeah, OK, I think that was a dive. But then that opens a whole new can of worms in terms of players getting sent off for diving wrongly and whether you can then rescind that. So. Maybe it's just better left as it is. Well, the thing is, like, is you know, we've had to had a, a Watford, you know, it's, it's been an eon, I think it feels like anyway, since last time in the Premier League. But the the amount of work that the club have had to put into uh, media facilities, because every game now in the Premier League has got multiple cameras. And I remember last time we were, we were up, Football Focus, uh, which is the BBC uh, lunchtime show on Saturday here, uh, for the foreign listeners, um, they... Um, did a, a feature where they had a referee in the um, television truck who had the ability to quickly go and rewind. And he literally rewound every single decision, every single decision that was made to double check it. And it took like, I think, seven seconds. Um, and you know that that's, that's there. You know that even it's even more now um, that that coverage can be accessed quickly um, and why they can't do it um, even a little bit you look at American football they have uh, a place where the referee on the pitch can go and have a look baseball all the games are piped back to central office New York, yeah. to New York where they can sort of see and, and um, uh, say yes or no to decisions they don't take a lot of time at all um, and ev- everything is there I would love the FA to trial it, to, to, you know, to try out for not just this simulation thing, but all the simulation, all the decisions. Um, and, and I sort of felt and hoped, let's say, that the Hawkeye technology was the next, was the first step towards something more, um, where those decisions can be um, looked at on a literally second by second basis. But we know that they're baby steps. Goal line technology might be a baby step towards that, and this new uh, red card or three match ban for uh, for simulation, if it lifts a red card, is is the first baby step to, to more stuff. So, do you guys think we'll see more than two of these this year? Oh, I'll go for three. All right, Jim. I know you're a betting guy over or under. Um, I put the over under at one and a half if I had to. 
Yeah. Actual red cards from diving. Mm, probably less than two or two or less, two or one or zero. Yeah, it seems like we're all like right on that ledge. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to go three. I'm going to go crazy. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. We're not sure it's going to happen often, but it's good, especially as a first step. Like, so, like, uh, hopefully, it, it, the, the, it being there means it won't happen. Right, yeah, yeah, as a deterrent. I definitely yeah. think that, that'll likely be the case as well. All right, and now we're going to head on to the first player watch of the season, where we're going to discuss a player that impressed us and a player that disappointed us in our club's most recent fixture. We'll start with Jim and Lester. Um, there can only really be one person that I picked for the player that impressed me most, and that's Riyad Mahrez. Um, he was sublime yesterday. It was probably his best Leicester City performance. Um, coincided with him signing a new four-year contract as well, which has only kind of seemed to perk him up a little bit. Some players, once they sign a new contract, can kind of relax a little bit, knowing that their financial uh, future is secure for another three or four years. Um, it seems to have had the opposite effect on him. He, he has come out absolutely flying um, in that first game. And I know, obviously... So that Sunderland defence did flatter to deceive a little bit. Um, but in terms of his trickery and his pace, that's not going to go away. Defenders and fullbacks particularly are still going to be worried about it. One of the great things for me that Claudio Ranieri did was that he noticed that all Brighton wasn't getting as much joy down one wing as I think he'd hoped he was. Um, so he switched the wingers within about 10 minutes of each other um, and almost, you know, Within five or six minutes, we'd scored a goal from the side where he'd switched Merez to. Um, so I think, you know, there's a real um, freedom about him in terms of that he can play either side. Um, and he, he's not afraid to shoot from distance and take people on, which is, you know, brilliant in the stadium because there's a sense of anticipation every time he gets the ball. And that's what you want at times from your attacking players. Um, it can be a little bit frustrating because he loves a step over almost to the point of <laughs> the detriment of his further progress. Um, but we all know players like that. And, you know, it gets the crowd going. People from a neutral point of view want to see that. It's, you know, an exciting part of the game. Um, his, he took his goal well that he uh, he scored and he got um, his, he won the penalty and scored it himself as well. Um, went close a couple of times to getting a hat-trick in the second half uh, and was just generally kind of brilliant. So hopefully that is the sign of many more performances like that to come because he's going to be a big, big player for us whether it be wide or playing in the kind of hole behind a central striker. Um, Kevin, I know we've spoken about him previously and kind of, mm. I always thought he was the perfect Tottenham player. I've said that for years yeah. and I'm surprised no one has come in for him this summer because he didn't have that long left on his contract. I think a bid in the region of seven or eight million pounds probably would have forced us to talk, let him talk to another club. Mm. Um, that, that wasn't forthcoming. And now, you know, with this new four-year contract and the way that he's playing, we can then play hardball and probably ask for double that. Um, no yeah. problem. I'm assuming there's no buyout clause because that would be silly at this point. Yeah, I mean, if it is, I hope that it's of a size of that nature where we could sit back and go, OK, if we're going to get 15 million for him, then yeah. so be it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what Fulham did with Moussa Dembele. Yeah, consider, I mean, considering we picked him up for £400,000, um, you know, any kind of sell-on in that region is some is a bid you would have to listen to, I think, you know, because we're not, yes, we're very financially well off considering our ownership situation, but it's not, you know, nobody is irreplaceable, I don't think, at a club like Leicester at the moment. So, you know, 
let's see what the you know this transfer window obviously is is out i guess maybe january into the summer if if someone comes calling um we may have to listen to some big offers a player that didn't impress me and it is really tough because i think when you've had such a positive performance it's really difficult to pick holes in it um Kasper Schmeichel is probably the one that I would say didn't impress me as much. I think he was culpable for one of the goals where he came charging out and it kind of led to the the, the goal being pretty much unmanned and Stephen Fletcher being able to kind of head a ball into an empty net um, in a one-on-one aerial challenge, which he's always going to be half decent at. So um, it's not a major slight on Kasper. He's a fantastic player and he's a brilliant leader from the back. You know, having him and Robert Huth as as the spine of that back, five essentially as it was yesterday is fantastic um and I do rate him as a really good keeper he he has the odd moment of madness and that's the thing with being a keeper your errors are extrapolated to the point where you're heavily criticized for them because you're the last line of defense they lead to goals and they lead to penalties and they lead to red cards as we saw this weekend with Thibaut Courtois so he's in the firing line unfortunately but it you know it was a six out of ten performance whereas the rest of the the team were up around that seven, eight, nine out of ten, rather than you know him being particularly awful. All right, and Zach, who impressed you and disappointed in Liverpool's win today? Um, I think uh, because the performance was fairly average in terms of uh, excitement and attacking flair. Um, I think Coutinho probably impressed me the most, although that's not saying much because, as I say, it was mostly sort of six out of ten, seven out of ten performance. Um. Sometimes, sometimes you find yourself quite isolated, um, but obviously he came up with the um, with the special moment of the game. Bagged us three points with that screamer. Um, so yeah, pretty much not not the best points to pick from. But if I was to say, I'd say him because he looked quite sharp despite his short and preseason, as I mentioned before. Um, I think Firmino looked pretty good. Um, for those fifteen minutes when he came on, some nice skill. Um, he looks like he looks hard working. Um, and dare I say, Dejan Lovren looks okay today, which... He really bit, did. <laughs> it, it, it hurts me. He actually looks okay, but one may continue. Um, Lalana was probably the player that let me down the most. Um, as I said before, um, he's not looked great for, for coming in from that left-hand side. Um, he's sort of not taking the chances that, that are being presented to him by Rogers, who I think has been quite lenient on him. Um, I also think he gets quite an easy ride from the English media and and, and the commentary teams that um, obviously occupy um, the various sporting channels. That's BT, Sky Sports, everyone. They seem to just be very easy on him, whether that's just because he's English or because he's sort of like a continental-style English player, as uh, some might say. So, um, yeah, I think if if, if I was to choose someone, it would probably be him. And John, who impressed and disappointed for Watford? Uh, you know, we've got six new players there and I couldn't really tell you exactly if they had a good, bad or an average day. Um, you can't, you know, the pre-season games I saw, I don't know. But I'm going to I'm gonna go with my, my favourite one being Lyon. Um, like I say, he came with us, came to us in, in January and he did look a little bit out of place, you know, even with his more followers than Spurs on Twitter. Um, we wondered if he would <laughs> Very be... proud of that. Oh, absolutely. I think Twitter <laughs> broke in Mexico when he scored a goal yesterday. Um, he... We, I wasn't sure. You sort of look at a player like that and you think maybe he's just getting used to the league. Hey, maybe when if he goes in the Premier League, he'll be he'll, he'll shine a little bit more. Uh, and also the fact that he has he's only been with the club for less than two weeks. 
because he was um, in, they won the uh, Mexico won the Gold Cup. Um, so he was a little bit surprised that he started and that he, he scored the goal. Uh, he looked energetic, and he, yeah, he. The, the reason I give it to him is he's the one who, uh, out of all of them uh, from last year, sort of, sort of uh, stepped up. And you could also say the same thing about Igalo, the fact that he could still do what he was doing last year, um, but in the in the Premier League, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Lone. Uh, and then, for the same reasons, I think I'm, go- I'm going to give it the uh, the slight disappointment to Troy Ding because uh, he didn't score uh, and he got a yellow card. Um, but Troy is Mr Watford. Um, we were lucky enough, really lucky. We had a dinner with Ding um, at the end of last year, five years of doing our podcast. And um, he's a man who has gone on a huge journey. You know, he was in jail um, three years ago. Um, and since then, he has completely changed, turned around. Um, and uh, he is, you know, a new five-year contract. Uh, and like I say, I'm trying to find a fault. And, you know, if I find faults because of him, then, then that's uh, a good thing. But he, uh, yeah, let's go with that because he didn't score. Yeah, I don't have anything nearly as inspirational as, as coming back from jail to, to start in the Premier League. Um, but I was quite impressed by the partnership of both Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. Uh, I, feel, I still feel bad for Eric Dyer because I think no Tottenham fan would have had issues with Dyer getting the start this season had we not brought in anybody else. He'd clearly overtaken Fazio. He's very athletic, can do a job at right back as well. And I think we all would have been fine with that. But if you have a chance to go get Toby Alderweireld, you have to. And we did, and I, I think it's one of the better bits of business we've done lately. Um, him and Jan looked like to, they, they just fit together almost perfectly. Both like bombing forward every now and again, but it seemed like they each had knowledge of when the other one was going to do it, as opposed to Jan last year. Well, especially, there, there were a couple matches with Jan and Kirakesh, and that was just an entire mess. Uh, but but was very impressed with them. Unfortunately, there was one miscommunication, and it led to a goal. Uh, but, but, you know, we're going to work on that going forward, and Hopefully we'll concede a lot less of those kind of mistakes leading to goals, which have, have so, uh, you know, kind of defined our defense the past couple of years with those uh, defensive errors leading directly to goals. So, uh, but but on the whole, like I said, you know, kept Manchester United, who I think are wholly in the title chase this year, uh, keeping them to one shot on target in one corner means that, you know, we were keeping them out of our area pretty heavily. So uh, very impressed with them and, and looking forward to having a very sturdy center back pairing going forward. The other one, not going to go Kyle Walker. That one's so obvious that, you know, somebody that didn't even watch that match has to surely have known what he's done. Uh, I'm going to go with Nabil Bentaleb, who I've been bigging up all summer, saying that he's going to be our breakout player this year. Uh, and he, he struggled. He really did. Obviously up against a very experienced midfield with Schneiderlin and Carrick. So not saying it's not understandable, but he played fairly poorly. Like I said, his passes were pretty inaccurate. One led to the goal. Um, and and we, we've just come to expect more from him based on the, the short time we've, we've really seen him push on into the first team. So hopefully he'll be able to fix it soon. But I was very, very disappointed in, in one of our better young players, Nabil Bentaleb. All right. And with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me at Jim Knight 88 on Twitter. You can read my betting ramblings at goal.com where I'm the chief betting editor and occasionally at wheelofbetting.co.uk as well. Um, if you're interested in the Football League, now that the new season's back, I'd recommend that you give the We Are Going Up podcast a listen. 
um, a project that I was previously involved with that are kind of heavily covering the 72 outside the Premier League. So if you want to get a heads up on which teams you might be playing against uh, next season, even though it's a little bit early, I'd, I'd recommend giving those guys a download and, and checking that out. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for listening and, and uh, thanks to Kev for having me on. Um, I'd just like to plug one thing, and that's the uh, new Anfield Index Writers fantasy football show that we've got uh, running now. It's um, it's obviously Liverpool-based as it's on uh, AnfieldIndex.com, but it's for fans of any of any clubs. Um, we like to think we're fairly knowledgeable on uh, fantasy football, and uh, we'd love it if you could join us on our, our debut season presenting the new show. We've got tips and tricks for um, the informed players and whatnot, and we'll be discussing how our weeks have gone. So, yeah, if, you, if you're if into, into fantasy football, uh, please give that a listen. Thanks for listening. Yeah, if you want to keep in touch with what's going at Watford, if, uh, then uh, do check out uh, From the Ricker End uh, on, podcast, on um, Twitter. We are at Watford Podcast. Uh, search us on iTunes uh, or our website, fromtherickerend.com. Uh, where you can find past episodes, uh, everything we've done recently is now out of date. It's all pre-season, that's done and dusted with. But a great podcast we did, as I mentioned earlier, Dinner with Deeney. Uh, we got to spend an hour or so with uh, with Troy Deeney um, right before the last game of the season. Uh, and his story that he has uh, gone through the last three years is, is a really interesting. Uh, and to hear it from his mouth in audio form rather than a, a written piece. Uh, it's quite powerful. So that's uh, that's one of our past podcasts, Dinner with Dini. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, uh, currently also in kind of a fantasy mold, uh, which uh, was mentioned just previously there by Zach. Uh, I'm writing weekly previews for Tottenham, Crystal Palace, and Sunderland over at blog.playtaga.com. Also have a weekly piece going up on the Eagles Beak where I kind of talk about players that can be brought in or dropped for specific price ranges. Uh, to really help you in your fantasy endeavors there. Uh, obviously, on the podcast, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Kevrov, K-E-V-R-O-V. And we're so glad you guys have joined us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.